Welcome to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. I'm your host, Robert Gerrish. Flying Solo is an Australian online community and home to stacks of free resources, discussion forums, professional development tools, and a whole lot more. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Today's guest is Tony Park, a widely published author. Well, he may be successful now, but it hasn't always been that way. Let's welcome Tony. Very happy to be here, Robert. Thanks for, uh, for having me along. Oh, look, it's a pleasure. So now, look, it's an interesting, uh, you are an interesting person. Right? Well, I've only just started speaking <laughs> with you, but everything I've heard and read, uh, really interesting story. And as I say, that's the thing I'd like to have a look at. So I know, and I've, I've said my intro, you know, you've got 10 books that are published. Number 11 is kind of going through the motions. And number 12, I think, is um, from what you've, you've, from what I've gathered, is, is, is uh, mainly in your head, but um, shortly to, to be somewhere else. Just started, yep. But uh, let's just, if we can, perhaps a place to, um, for us to kind of start our talk is to, is to go back in time before you were Tony Park, the successful author. And let's, let's look at you in, when was it? I think 1997, um, Tony Park, the PR consultant with a dream. Would that be right? Yeah, that's pretty much uh, correct. I um, had always, the only thing I ever wanted to do in my life uh, since I was a little kid, if, if ever, anyone would ask me when I was growing up what I wanted to do, the only thing I ever wanted to do was write a book. I think that's because my mum used to make use of the local public library out where I grew up out in Campbelltown in Western Sydney as an unpaid childcare centre. So I spent a lot of time hanging around libraries as a little kid and I and I always wanted to write a novel. But uh, as I sort of progressed through school and then work, um, a couple of things sort of hit me pretty early on, a bit of reality check, was that the two things that I worked out that I would need most and, and was lacking uh, were time and a place. That is to have enough time to take out of my day when I was working full time mm-hmm. um, to, to write a novel and have a place to write, not just a quiet bolt hole to retreat to but a place that inspired me now I, I i liked english at school i liked working with words and as you mentioned i, I did end up as a as a pr consultant i ended mm-hmm. up as a very good job second in charge of a large pr consultancy in in sydney and i'd come to that field from journalism and uh, working for the state government here in new south wales as, mm-hmm. a, as a press secretary so i'd had a media sort of background okay, which was quite fulfilling in its own way but it's it's not what i always wanted to do so yes i was the pr consultant approaching middle age with a dream and uh not really sure whether or not i should take the risk to follow that okay well look, i mean wonderful that the well, wonderful for us you know the great reading public that can now devour your books that you held on to that dream for that long but uh, what so what happened you from what i what i gather you one day you said right enough's enough i'm walking away from my job and i guess this is a situation that a number of our community have either been in or may be planning now you know how did that go yeah, yeah, I think yeah, you, you you're right. That is that is the situation. Um, there was nothing wrong with my job. Um, I was enjoying it. I, I did sort of have a sense that I'd gone about as far as I wanted to with with that type of, of job in a consultancy that I that I had. Um, I could see myself spending the rest of my years doing the same thing, but I, I knew deep inside me it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I had had a couple of goes at trying to write a book. And I'd followed the advice that I'd read in books about writing 
um, as to how I should go about that, which which I found wasn't really helping. So I, I found that I, I didn't have enough time to write while holding down a full-time job. So, yeah, I literally went to my wife one day after a couple of failed attempts at writing and said to her, look, I think the only way I'm going to be able to do this, to have a serious crack at it, is is to devote some time to it. And if that means leaving my job, then then so be it. Now, I, I guess I was, I was about... Um, 34, I think, at the at the time, and I I was probably fairly confident, given the market at the time, that if it didn't work, I could always go back. Um, you know that that I had a kind of a safety net. So I sure, guess I'm just just to pick on that for a sec. I mean, that okay. So you had that to go back to, but would I be right in assuming at the time that you convinced your wife and you know we should we should give her a virtual round of applause they say you convinced your wife that no i'm going to stop work you know there was your revenue your income would have been presumably somewhat noticeable for your family so how did how did that kind of conversation go yeah most definitely because we we had become by that stage even on we haven't had kids we still don't have kids we'd become big travelers and 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 we'd saved up a bit of money i guess probably thinking about traveling again and uh, uh, she was very supportive because I think she could see this frustration in me. She knew that I wasn't happy because I, I wasn't able to achieve the one goal that I had in my life. So, mm. so basically what I did was I gave myself six months. I asked her for six months. Right. And uh, I, I was fairly sort of cocksure of myself thinking that I could probably knock over a man in this group months and now I send it off to a publisher and you know yep. if anyone can write a book I can that was the plan fairly arrogant sort of, uh, it, it sounds a bit sort of as I said full of myself and arrogant but it was quite a scary step of course you know to leave what was a very well paid job and a very secure job I must say at the time uh, to sort of roll the dice and, and I remember clearly that most of my colleagues around me all had their two cents worth one said mm. to me you'll never get published and another one said to me you're an idiot right. <laughs> another one said to me there's a book in everyone and that's where most of them should stay so I was surrounded by doubters but you know in a way that kind of galvanised me and I, well and I guess also just to draw a parallel there you know not not many of the people listening to this are authors or or perhaps are likely to be authors but we do have we have that similar sort of situation where we're talking to friends and family and some say great do it some say and crazy you know so you had all that going on but then presumably after that sort of the noise had died down a bit there you are at a desk with a pen and a piece of paper or a computer however you did it what happened next how did that go yeah, well, what happened next is it didn't go very well. Basically, right. um, uh, in, in two words, I failed. Right. <laughs> I sat down to write The Great Australian Novel. I had some time, mm. didn't have a place, and uh, mm. I, it, it, it may be of interest in that I had read what I guess were in the writing world equivalent of self-help books. These were books about how to write a novel. Yeah. They all said that you should have a plot. You should have a blueprint for your story. You should know the beginning and the middle and the end and who the characters are and you sit down and you work off that blueprint and you finish your book. Mm. I wasted, Robert, about six months trying to think of a story and I couldn't and it was frustrating. And Mm. every time I started thinking about it and started to put some words in, it just seemed so contrived because I was doing what I was supposed to do. And it was a little bit confronting and very scary and and quite disheartening. And then I worked out I couldn't think of a plot. I could not think of a a whole story. And I kind of mentally beat myself Mm. 
up over that. Well, you're um, a writer. You'd spent your, your whole career up to that point thinking of nothing else. It must have been well, a horrible place to be. This is how it's done, and I'm going to do it, and I can't do it. And, and what happened was I kind of had an easy out and then a few of my friends who I think felt very sorry for me for making this stupid decision to leave my job started offering me work. So <laughs> interestingly, what happened from a, if you take the writing out of it, the novel writing out of it, from a purely business point of view, what happened was I started getting freelance work. I had mm. friends who were working in PR companies and still working for the government who needed an extra hand. And um, it mightn't sound all that radical or, or revolutionary or unusual, but I found myself in Sydney, one of the very few people in a position where I could sort of work for just about anybody. I was no longer bound by mm. uh, having to work on one particular client or one particular company. I became sort of the, the extra hand, you mm. know, the spare body for, for a number of PR companies, almost like a locum. And so, so a gun for hire and, yeah, and you exactly. could absolutely choose and who you worked with. There was a, a demand for this. And then mm. funnily enough, a few of my friends ended up doing pretty much the same thing, not to write a book, but to end up going out and working for themselves as freelance PR consultants. Mm. It sounds okay. like but back in the mid '90s, it was pretty uncommon people mm. to do that kind of thing. So I kind of retreated a little bit from from writing the book, uh, and it wasn't until about another year later when Nicola, my wife, said, "Well, that was spectacularly successful, wasn't it? <laughs> it achieved nothing." Um, she said, "I'd quite like to have six months off," and and she'd looked at what I'd done and 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 sort of thought, "Well, she would leave her job and then perhaps look at other alternatives after that." So with the last of our savings. We um we trotted off for what was then our third trip from Africa, right. and that's where I finally wrote my first novel, Travelling on the Road. How marvellous! So so what? And basically, what that the, the solution that that provided you, I guess, was that it it you know a moment ago it was sort of author in search of a story. And once you found yourself once in your situation, once you kind of plonked yourself in Africa, the story found you. Is that is that how it's? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm. and uh, what happened was I ignored the books that I'd read up until that point about how to write a novel, and I said to myself, "Well, I I know I can't think of an entire plot in my head. I can't think of the beginning, middle, and end of a book. I found myself in the Kruger National Park in South Africa, which is a place that I had." already by that stage come to love and I literally sat down and opened my laptop on the first day of what would become a, a five-month trip around Africa for us and just started writing. I just started making up a story as I went along. I ignored the rules. <laughs> I ignored the how-to books and thought, well, if I'm just going to make this story up as I go along and the characters in this story I will make up as I go along and their journey will loosely reflect our physical journey that is around some of the most spectacular tourism destinations in southern Africa and I'll just move the action from one place to another as my wife and I pick up and, and move camp. And you know what, that that required um, sort of having faith in yourself and sometimes overcoming the fear that, you know, you would sort of wake up and think, well, I really should know what's going to happen today and I don't. If once you dive into it um, and get a bit of momentum going, you just kind of make it up as you go along. And, and, and I do know some people to this day, I've met authors since I've been published, and some mm. of them do it that way, and some of them have a meticulously crafted plot before they start. And there's nothing wrong with either approach. But I think the other thing from a business point of view is that because I had already started doing quite a lot of freelance work during my failed period when I first left work, I, I had that buffer. So I knew that when we returned mm. home from Australia from that first five or six months away when I wrote my first novel, Far Horizon, I was 
pretty certain that I could just walk back into the sort of part-time freelance work that I've been doing before. And I did. And funnily enough, so did my wife as well. So, so uh, I'm intrigued here just to, to talk a little bit about the your experience of the creative process. Well, we've had, you know, we've heard, we've heard a fair bit about your own experience. What is it, what's it taught you about the creative process? I mean, if somebody came up to you and said, well, look, Tony, I'm not thinking of writing a book, but I'm thinking of starting a business and I've been sitting here, I can't work out what I want to do. Have you, have you learned from what you've done something that you believe is transferable no matter what you do? I think um, in hindsight, it, if you if you say leaving what could be described as a as a more tried and true sort of career path into something that's different, it may involve some artistic endeavour. In, in hindsight, if I had thought that I'm not going to kind of go cold turkey, I'm not going to say I'm going to quit and now I'm going to write a book. If I'd thought about doing what I ended up doing saying what I'll do is I'll scout out the market for a little bit of freelance work so that I know that maybe there's a, a cushion there for me. Maybe I can right. sort of, you know, write three days a week and, and work two days a week or vice versa. I, I think that might have been a more sensible approach. It, it might have taken a little bit of the pressure off me when I first started trying to write because I, 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 it was almost like a gun went off when I left work. I had six months ahead of me and I had to start being creative. You know, mm. having written annual reports for electricity companies, I had to start writing a novel, and they're quite different. <laughs> well, it's different. You haven't got a client breathing over your over yeah. your shoulder, have you, and giving you a right. deadline? No, but- that's right. Yeah, but I think having having a bit of a background. But I think in terms of the creative process, I, I'm a firm believer that if 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 you are so passionate about something that you are prepared to give up the nine to five and the day job to go after it, that you've probably got a better than even chance of succeeding and that you should, number one, I think the most important thing, and this is, this is what I found with, with my writing, is that you should trust yourself. You should mm. trust your instincts and don't doubt yourself and just push on, even, even through the failures. Look, I, I uh, totally agree with that and, it, and it's, it's uh, lovely to hear, hear you now on absolutely the other side of all this. One point you touched on there that I'd just like to look at a little bit more, you'd um, you mentioned the buffer. You know, when you went back to doing freelance, that then enabled you. It, it gave you sort of confidence that yes, I am. I'm a value. I can go out here and I can do this and I can earn money. And that must have changed your thinking enormously, as opposed to the sitting there uh, every morning, blank computer screen, blank sheet of paper, needing to kind of do the business and start something happening. I mean, is is the buffer? Uh, it strikes me it is very important. Is it? Was it? very, very important to you, do yes. you think, looking back? Yeah, I think looking back it was and and, and became so. Um, I'm, I'm in a very lovely position now where with 10 books on and I've written six non-fiction books and I, I can kind of live off my writing these days. Mm. But the first six, seven, eight years of, of writing, I would still have to come back from Africa each year from six months away and, and work at my day job, which yep. was as a freelance PR consultant. I think it, it, it was very important to have that buffer there, not just for money, but for the creative process. Mm. So that I'm, 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 I am, I've got some structure to my life, you know, mm. I've got some security. And I think the interesting thing about that whole shift in the way I worked, um, it's, it's going to sound pretty bad, but. What I worked out was is that when you are, say, doing a job freelancing to support a creative endeavour or something else that you want to do, 
it can be quite liberating because work all of a sudden stops becoming about career and mm. it stops becoming about office politics mm. and it stops becoming about stress and it starts becoming about the hard the harder I work in the more compressed time frame, the more money I will make. Of course, and, yes, absolutely. And my, my work ethic, if anything, probably improved, I think, because um, I was thinking that I've got six months of the year back in Australia, I'm going to make as much money as I possibly can in order to support <laughs> this lovely lifestyle that I have in the other six months of the year. And I worked harder and faster and stronger and better, I think, than I probably had before. And, and, and it was quite liberating. It sounds a bit mercenary, mm. uh, and I'm not saying that. No, I, I don't think so. But I mean, do you do you your whole mindset changes your whole philosophy? And do you miss that at all? Do you sometimes think, oh, maybe I'm just going to try that suit on and just go off to a meeting? I mean, do you miss any aspect of that, or absolutely not now? Um, not, not particularly. <laughs> uh, I, I've always been a very sociable person. I, I think it is true that writing is a is a lonely business. Um, I, I'm I'm quite fortunate now in that uh, I, I can't work from home, by the way. I'm, I'm okay. incapable of working from home. I get too distracted. So I've, I've got a nice little gig now where I've got a friend who was a former colleague of mine who has a PR company and he gives me an office in his office in which I can sit and write. And that's quite nice because you can interact with other people. So I think if there's if there's one thing I missed, it was probably the interaction with other people. Okay. That's um, interesting. So working, working from home by yourself absolutely doesn't suit you. And I know it doesn't suit everybody. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't work for you but and yet you can sit by yourself i'm assuming in a tent in africa and and work yeah well my, my wife's there but she knows that i kind of zone out and i do zone out you know but i think it's nice that when you sort of emerge from your little cubbyhole your little office for a break it's nice to see another another face there whether that's my wife in africa or whether it's someone else just sort of kicking around the office where i'm there i've, I've hired i've tried everything uh, uh robert I've, I've i've hired serviced offices right. in in the past and i found that it's good to sort of rent an office with no windows and just lock yourself away when you on deadline or where you've got edits to do, which is the, the kind of the more mm. process-orientated, mundane part of the job. It's good to lock you away. I was intrigued to read recently about some of these shared spaces that mm. are available for small business people, you know, where, where you rent your desk or you have a hot desk, but you you kind of still interacting with with other people. And I guess that's something that might be interesting to your subscribers. Yeah, you know? definitely. And look, and I think we, we notice, yeah. yeah, we notice a good deal of that happening and, um, and, and I, I, can, I can absolutely see that it does um, tick a lot of boxes for a lot of people and it gives them a sense that there are other people around, other things going on, regardless of how much you kind of interact. I mean, personally, I spend usually a day a fortnight in my local public library just yeah. because I find it so nice to be around all those people. So it, I, I think that's, that, that's a situation that, that uh, you describe is one that a number of people um, do have some kind of issue with or occasional issue with anyway. Tell me, yeah. do you, to what extent do you think of yourself, are you a, do you think of yourself as someone who runs a business? Are you a business owner? Um, I, I think of uh, myself as my wife's employee. <laughs> uh, just to take back on that previous point you made, I've just mm. sort of recently rediscovered my local public library and I think right. that's a fantastic point that you draw out there mm. because they're such great resources as mm. well too, not just for books but for newspapers and periodicals and Wi-Fi and, and everything and just to get yourself out again and, and I, I find myself doing research for my books. It's very easy to waste hours and hours on the internet looking for information when you're researching something mm. and it's a good excuse for not working but if you go to your local library you might find one or two books about what it is you're interested in and you go straight to the 
to the heart of it. Um, but yeah, I think from the business point of view, uh, my wife is in IT, human resources IT. She left her full-time job that year after I did and pretty much found the same thing where she could make a living out of working six months of the year as a, as a contractor. So she is very good on the taxation financial organisational side of okay. business, which I am not. I'm right. a slave. I, am, I do as I'm told and I collect my money. So she's your back office support. She does all of the maths and all the back office stuff yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Now, if I had to do that by myself, we would probably not be here having this conversation today. Right. Okay. <laughs> so so she, she's great on that. And, I, and I've, I've noticed, I think, uh, with a few of my friends who, again, not gone off to write books, but have taken the similar step that I did and left full-time employment to set up their own little shop or to freelance is is where a couple of them have have failed has been on the the accounting administrative taxation mm. side of things because I think people underestimate uh, I, I underestimate what I perceive the difficulty of, but I think people underestimate the time in post and the absolutely. I remember the first time I twenty five years ago or something I was standing in the queue at a post office to buy some stamps and I thought hang on what am I doing here you know this is this is not how I imagine spending half an hour of my day but yeah. um, anyway that's a small thing so yeah, no, I think you know the, the business side of things uh, we have to treat treat it I think if you're involved in the sort of the creative endeavor you, you have to treat it as as a business you, mm. you can't be woolly-headed about this you can't be the the starving artist up in the garret because it's just not sustainable, you know. Mm. And, and I think for me that uh, that uh, that what I have learned is that I have to write a book a year. Ideally, I have to write two books a year. I have to write a novel and a non-fiction book because otherwise there's not enough money coming in. And then I have to plan my year based on that. So I do have to uh, have some rigor to my my. Mm. Annual diary my time and space um and and expenditure and things like that mm. so uh, and how much of your i mean you're, you're quite a in many ways quite a unique individual in that here you are very creative as you say through your you know, largely attributable to your mother where she took you down to the libraries and you know thank goodness she did yeah. um you've so you're creative on the one hand and on the other hand you spent a, a, a fair amount of time in the army so yeah. you have that discipline you spent time in afghanistan how do those two how do those two tonys kind of meet well i think it's all you know part of part of your sort of life experience that you that you draw on um i think the army things are interesting i i, I in my business realm probably the only thing I do that's not writing related anymore is I do media training I teach people oh, okay. how to do interviews <laughs> that right? and, and the interesting thing is is that uh, I was able to do that because I found quite a few of my friends who are running PR businesses or working in the government as good as they were at their job some of the best professionals in that kind of media relations public relations area um, as good as they were they were too scared to get up in front of 10 people and teach them something and train <laughs> Train them something. Whereas what I learned in the army from the age of about seventeen was how to train people, how to not just give orders, but how to teach people. And I think so that my military side sort of gave me the confidence to be able to to instruct. And so a large part of my business was was teaching people the stuff okay. that I used to do. And I think the other thing too is uh, um, a very important part of, of working as an author is is the promotional side of things. Is mm. being to speak in front of an audience and being able to get out there and promote your book. And some people are terrified of it. 
and mm. there's almost a correlation between the the kind of the, the artier you are, the, the less able you are to sort of get out and promote yourself. So maybe I'm not very arty, but I do like public speaking and I do like getting out and promoting myself. And that all comes from the army. So that is drawing on skills that you learn in other parts of your life that you can later apply to something you would think there would be absolutely no mm, Fascinating. And um, it's so interesting you say that because, you know, hearing you talk there about about being an author these days, maybe it's been like that for a while, but I think, you know, there's there's been few industries that have gone through the same degree of revolution that, um, yeah. that the publishing industry has and is still in the midst of. But um, increasingly it seems to me that as an author, it's not necessarily an expectation, but it's almost kind of a need as an author that you need to have your own community, your own following. It's not, you do, dear yeah. Mr. Publisher, here's the next book, go sell it. It doesn't work like that anymore, That's does it? That's right. And I think what you, you certainly, as you alluded to, there's, there's no end of debate and coverage about the changes, say, to the publishing industry and the book industry, but the, there are many flow-ons from that as well, too. I mean, now, um, 10 years since my first... Uh, book was published, the the amount of space devoted in newspapers and on radio uh, and even on TV to books has shrunk. The, the, mm. With the whole media industry changing and moving more to digital, more of this kind of news on the hour syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, there's less, there are less and less avenues to promote books, you know, mm. for reviews and, and, and for profiles on authors. So the space in which we can promote ourselves has got measurably smaller over the last decade. So you've got to do more yourself. Now, I, the kind of the upside of that is there's more blogs and there's yep. more, um, more certainly more opportunity via social media to promote yourself year-round. And, and when I say to be successful, I mean to make a living. As an yes, author, sure. you you have to embrace that. You mm. you cannot say I'm not going on Facebook. I'm going to sit in my garret and write. Mm. That's a <laughs> one way ticket to, to disaster. It really it really is. And it's interesting, sort of being in that social media space because one of the things I like about it most most of all is that I think we're we're in a time where um, we we can communicate, and there are really no barriers to communicating with 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 authors. With I mean, mm. I, I could have got online. And chatted to Captain W. E. Johns over in the UK, the author of the Biggles books, when I was ten years old. I would have been able to, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and so we've got this wonderful opportunity where we can, and I guess it is a, it is relevant from a business point of, of view, where we is. can communicate with our customers and where we can communicate with our clients in a way that we've never been able to before, no. and get their feedback and engage with them. And, and I reckon that's that's brilliant. I mean, I. I uh, I, I know some big name authors who have hundreds of thousands of followers on Facebook and Twitter and things, but they don't communicate mm. with their with their readers. And I, I, I see definitely it missing a trick. Valuable, valuable sort of two way interaction because that would be your best supporters. Yeah, well, look, it's so interesting to hear you say that. And I'm, sure, you know, when you when you kind of look at your profile on your website at TonyPark.net. You know, and I and you, I read read that, and I and I look at you. You know, as you say, you have a you have a home in Sydney, and in Africa, you have a series three Land Rover and a tent. I think yeah, I've actually got a house in Africa now. Oh, there you go. Well, that's good. But you know, you look at it, and you think, oh, lucky sod. You know, it just goes over there, sits in a the tent. But it's clearly 
It's not like that. You're, it is a business, as you say. You, you know, the, the some of the challenges that you have and the the things like social networking, social media that you embrace, we all have to embrace in our businesses. So, I find it very encouraging that. Um, that, that it's you know that, that you are saying you're endorsing everything that I think a lot of listeners that are working in very very different businesses, the skills that they absolutely need to embrace, and we can't put our head in the sand and think, well, it it's not relevant to me, you know, it doesn't it, it doesn't affect me because of course it does. Can I ask you one more question there? Um, how important is, I mean, you're describing really what I would call a sort of a portfolio existence. You know, you write a book, but you're also speaking, uh, you're running some training, you're still maybe not so much now, but your you're bits, bits of consulting must come across your desk, whether you say yes to it or not. How important is the portfolio to you versus taking it all away and just writing? How would, how would, how, what, how do you respond to that? Um, you know, Number one, I, I if I was just writing, I don't know what I'd do with a large chunk of my time. Because um, look, it's it's. I, I was going to say it's not easy for me. It is. It's something that I love doing. I love mm. writing. But it takes me about six months to to write a first draft, and then a couple of months after that, worth of worth of editing. If I wasn't doing something else, either writing a non-fiction book or doing the odd bit of training, or you know, promoting by speaking in social media. I don't know what I'd be doing. You know, I've got to You'd be driving your wife nuts probably. Yeah, probably. Quite yeah. possibly. But I think no, the portfolio is good. I think it keeps you sane. Mm. Uh, I think it keeps you grounded. Um, I think it uh, it keeps you, you interested and it keeps you social, keeps you sociable and keeps you out there as well too. Uh, and uh, but I think, you know, if if you look at it from a from a cold hard business point of view, I think it's a it's essential, um, even if you are in an artistic endeavor or a business that is that that is sort of suited to your passion and your your drive. Uh, you, you've got to take a step back from that and and say, uh, "How am I? I love this life. I'm so mm. fortunate to have this life. I, I will now do anything, absolutely anything in my power, even if it's things I don't like doing." Um, which for some people might be public speaking, it might be yep. on Facebook or whatever, to ensure that nothing changes. Oh, yeah, okay. I, my only fear in life is that I'll have to go back to doing a real job again. You know? <laughs> well, I don't think, I think judging by the way your, your books are selling and the way that you're, you're managing to keep writing them, hopefully that, that day will not come. But look, I'd, I'd like to, to close up with a question or a, a, a just an observation. I, I, again, something I, I read on your site. Clearly, one of the things with uh, with being an author and writing books is that is that um, obviously we want a lot of people to buy them and read them, and occasionally reviewers get hold of them. And how do you handle feedback? How do you handle? Because as an author, you really get it, don't you? I mean, you get feedback, warts and all. How I know most of your feedback is very positive, but occasionally it must slip through that it isn't. How do you handle it? Yeah, I think one thing I learned, I worked as a journalist before I was in PR and I learned to have a very thick skin as a journo because right. there's no end of people that want to criticise you. Sometimes your own sub-editor wants to criticise you and then the general public criticise you and everybody thinks journalists are fair, fair game. So I, I, mm. I developed a thick skin very early on in life okay. and that is one piece of advice I give to, to other other. Uh, potential writers or writers is, is develop a thick skin. Know that the good constructive criticism is the best thing 
there is. I mean, mm. your writing will only improve if you listen to your editors and your publishers who, who not only know uh, what sells but what is right. You know, you, you have this kind of creative outpouring blah, where you write from the heart or from the gut or whoever you write. Yeah. But you need, it needs to work on the outside world. And so good constructive criticism. I mean, I've got fantastic editors and the sign of a fantastic editor is that when she makes a suggestion, I say, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. That is fantastic. <laughs> but, it it, but, to, a, but a, uh, a reviewer isn't quite reviewer, so gentle. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, the vast majority of the reviews I get have been overwhelmingly positive, but a few, mm. including one I've had recently, was was very negative. Uh, and then I, I, to be quite honest, I ignore it and yeah. I, I push on. Um, if I think there's something constructive in there, I, I take from it. But because I also... Um, do a little bit of, of freelance writing myself. I actually I didn't mention I do a little bit of travel journalism. It, oh, okay. it makes me now think twice about uh, my words and what I'm writing and how mm. I might deliver criticism to people. So I I take it positively. I, I think you know if you if you read every negative review about your book, <laughs> and you know you might not never. Pick up a pen. No, okay. open but it. you also do something rather entertaining, don't you? Can you? Yeah, share? I, um, I I think the best thing you can do with a bad review is take the three best words and put them on the front cover of your next book. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so going to do that next time I get a bad review about anything I do. That's really good. I think. Look, I think the the it is an interesting point that you touch on, and mm. I think the the if you like the negative, if you want to see it as a negative of the whole. Um, social media and online media environment the opera that we operate in is that as well as getting all your fans contacting you and telling you doing you a good job there are mm. plenty of people who just get off or enjoy you yes, know, of what you're doing wrong and yeah. I think business point of view you also uh, you don't let it get you down you know continue on but but Analyze it and look at maybe there is something I can do different. Um, and if someone has got the wrong end of the stick, is that their fault or is it my fault? Yeah. Um, and that's something to bear in mind. Yeah, there's so. always there's always a learning there, isn't there? If you're big enough yeah, to yeah, uh, to take it on board. Well, look, Tony, Tony Park, thank you. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo. I'm Robert Gerrish, and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're looking to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, you'll find heaps of resources at flyingsolo.com.au and a supportive community on our forums and Facebook. Thanks for listening.